You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We are past the preseason week one. We're uh, flying towards week two. A couple games here tonight as we record on Thursday. We've got some other things to get to, but uh, tell you what, let's bring in our guest right away. All right, joining us now is wide receiver Samuel Akemp from the University of Montana Grizzlies. He's all big sky. The team is top 10 FCS preseason this year. Samuel, how's it going? Good. How about you guys? How's it going? We're doing well here, I would imagine, or in camp or well into it. Or you're... We're in the thick of camp. We're right in the middle of it, uh, grinding day by day, uh, putting in the, the long hours, putting in the hard work that it takes to be successful this fall. All right. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. Just want to start out maybe just with some basic stuff and early days, if you would, and then a little bit about your family. How did your love of the game begin, and uh, what keeps it growing? Um, I'll say my love of the game was really instilled in me from, like, watching my brother. My brother was really big into football, and he was, like, really good. And um, I don't know, everything I did as a kid was always just, like, I always wanted to be like my big brother, and I always wanted to, like, beat him. I always wanted to be better than him. So even when I did track, it was always to, like, be like him and be better than him and, football I just wanted to be like him and, and uh dominate on the field and just I say I got it from my brother watching my brother okay and how do you say it? is it Giasi Jossie Jossie okay so he played linebacker at Oklahoma State and I think he's his career is over there he's graduated yeah what kind of keeps it going now what keeps the blood the, the juices going now I say just wanting to be the best uh wanting to be the best version of myself wanting to prove everybody wrong, wanting to prove the people who thought I couldn't do it. Because uh, I feel like early in my career, college career, I'm saying, people were expecting me to do certain things. People were expecting me to be this out here. And I didn't really rise up to it. And that kind of fueled me. And then just just people doubting me, you know. I don't, I don't know. It's just any little thing I can get to motivate me motivates me. So um, just, just wanting to better myself and just wanting to be better than I was the last time. Where did that doubt surface from? When did people start doubting you early in your college career? Uh, I'd say it was my redshirt freshman year. Um, I had some drops, some some big drops. One drop in the cat game that I remember vividly. It was on like a touchdown, like a fade. A few drops just here and there during my freshman season. Just things like that that just weren't really indicative of the player that I wanted to be. So uh, I had to put in the long hours, had to put in the extra work, and had to change myself and turn myself into a better player and to be the player that I saw in my eyes. All right, Sam, let's turn back to your family a little bit. Uh, your dad had quite a story. His dad, Isaac, emigrated from Cameroon. What has he instilled in you about just opportunity? Just hard work. If you talk to my dad, my dad doesn't really give a lick about sports. Excuse my language. He doesn't, he doesn't give a damn about sports. He cares about education because that's what – got him to where he is today. My dad got his bachelor's degree in mathematics, got his master's degree in civil engineering, and he was like a dissertation away from getting his PhD in, I believe, civil engineering from Oklahoma State, but he never finished that. But just hard work. Anytime my dad talked about what it took to get to where he is today, it was hard work. 
I mean, he came here as an immigrant. He didn't have any education. He didn't have much, and he turned it into a liquidity instilled in me. I watched him work hard, um, long hours, you know? That's just what he, what he instilled in me and my brother is to know how to work hard and to know that nothing's going to be given to you. Samuel, you were born and raised in Oklahoma. Who'd you root for growing up? Were you a Sooners fan? I actually was a Longhorns fan, funny enough. My first memory of ever really being into, like, of remembering football was watching the confetti fall at the 2005 Rose Bowl when Texas had defeated USC. I remember me and my dad were watching that game, and uh, I just remember Vince Young standing up and all that confetti falling around him, and I, I remember after that I was a Longhorns fan. Funny enough, I did grow up in Oklahoma, but I was a fan of, in my younger days, I was a fan of Colt McCoy, Jordan Shipley, all those guys who were kind of around that 2010, 9, around that era. Did you wear, like, a Longhorns jersey? I never had a jersey. I just had a hat. I had a Longhorns hat growing up, but I, I never really was into the, like, team apparel. I never really had a lot of team apparel growing up. But you know, most people in Oklahoma, they are either Sooners fans or Cowboys fans. Did you get some, you know, oh, yeah. some looks at you, like you root for Texas? Nah, not really. I didn't really get any looks. It wasn't really like that. I don't know. I just never really got any looks like that. Granted, I was a little kid. I think I stopped wearing the Longhorns hat when I kind of got to like middle school, maybe. But uh, yeah, no, I didn't really get any looks like that. So you were a little bit of a late bloomer from an athletic standpoint. What do you attribute that late development to? And did you put in the extra work in the gym? Or did you grow a few more inches? Or did you put on a, a few more pounds? I mean, where did that late development come from? I would say it was definitely the extra work. I specifically remember, I don't know if it was the off-season of my sophomore year, or the off-season of my junior year. I want to say it might have been the off-season of my sophomore year, going into my junior year. My mom had got me a 10-gym membership, and so I ran track in the off-season, so I wasn't doing the off-season program with all the football players and and all that stuff. So I would be running track, um, not gaining weight, not getting stronger, all that stuff. So I remember um, I used to wake up and go to the to 10-gym in the mornings and get my own lifting, get my own weight training in, and just try to maintain whatever I had and try to gain a little bit. I don't think it was much, but I think that's something that played a part. And also, I remember the offseason going into my junior year. It was either my junior or senior year. Me and my two best friends, Caleb and Cameron. Caleb was a DB in high school, and Cameron was a quarterback. Cameron was a grade below us. And I remember me, Caleb, and Cameron, we used to do one-on-ones every day, like after track practice. We used to go in the indoor because we had an indoor. And we used to go in there and do one-on-ones like every day. And I, I would attribute some of my development to things like that, is like doing the extra work like that and doing one-on-ones and just – and just trying to hone in on getting better at my craft. What led you to Montana, Sam, and what made it the best decision for you? Really what made it the best decision for me, for one, was that it was my only offer. Obviously, I had a couple other D2s and stuff like that from around, you know, Oklahoma, but, like, it was my only big offer. And they were the team that took the chance on me. Like, before I had any D2 or JUCO offers, Montana was the first school to kind of say, you know, like, hey, we want to offer you a full-ride scholarship. And this was after my junior year when I had, like, 16 catches, like 160 yards. You know, I, I was a blocker. And obviously, I mean, they offered me as an H. But, you know, they were the first school to really take a chance on me and say, like, we want you. So, I mean, it was kind of a loyalty thing. Like, you know, they took a chance on me, so um, I'm just going to stay loyal. Um, and, yeah, they, they, they wanted me. So I wanted them right back. So you came in as a tight end. 
How did that switch to wide receiver occur? Throughout my redshirt freshman year, like my true, like really when I was a true freshman, but I was redshirting. Um, I think they, the, the coaching staff just noticed that I was really athletic for the position. I could play outside, um, and that I really had a good skill set to be an outside receiver if I got some good coaching and stuff like that. So I think they just decided to move me that off season, and the switch was made, and I I was outside. But then in the high school, I didn't play tight end in high school. I I played everywhere in high school. I was in the slot. I was outside. But I could block really well. I think that's what popped out on my tape is I, I was a really, really good blocker. So I think that's why they offered me because they saw my size and they saw my frame. And they were like, if we can put some weight on this guy, we can turn this guy into a pretty good H. Because really with Stith offense, who was the one who recruited me, it was a stand-up tight end. I don't think we ever went in three points. So it was like a tight end, but it, like, it, was like a, it wasn't at the same time. you know. So it was just one of those kind of deals. Samuel, what are your measurements right now? 6'4", and I'm around 205, between 205 and 210 right now. Let's talk about that breakout sophomore season with the Grizzlies because that's when you came into your own. Uh, describe that to us, when you became the go-to guy on the offense. I think that was just a product of the hard work that I put in, just a product of me putting in those extra hours, me putting in the hard work in the off season when nobody's looking, me really – honing in on my craft and me just staying down, honestly, because um, I don't know. I just kept my head down and grind. I don't think I started till like halfway through that season or like a third through that season or something, but I didn't begin the season as a starter. I just, I just kept my head down and kept working. And I just kept making, when I, when my number was called, I was making plays and eventually they didn't take me out the game. I think that's just a testament to the hard work that I put in and um, me just keeping my head down and continuing to grind. Uh, due to COVID, uh, last year, you guys only played two games. I mean, two huge wins in April and then just blowouts. What did, what did you learn from that whole experience of having the season canceled, only two games? How did that kind of go for you? For one, don't ever take the game for granted because it can be taken away like that. We had to sit and watch everybody in the FBS, all the big schools play. We had to watch everybody in the FCS play in the spring and watch them knowing that we are up there at the top tier, knowing that we're one of the better teams. Just just watching everybody play, I think it just taught me to, to grind harder and to never take the game for granted, to appreciate every time I get to step out there on the field and uh, play against somebody. That and being hurt taught me that as well because I got hurt in 2019. So COVID and my injury just taught me to never take the game for granted, to appreciate every time I get to step out there and uh, go against somebody. For those who haven't seen you play, Describe your game. You know, what skills make you a prospect for the next level? Um, I think I got long speed. I think I'm a dependable. I'm able to get open. I think I'm very quarterback friendly. I think I'm able to separate well and, I'm, and, I, and I can get open. I just think I'm able to make plays when my number is called. I was just going to say, just to follow up, you talked about long speed. Do you have a 40 time on record? Is that something that you guys uh, use in training? No, we haven't timed 40s. I haven't timed a 40 since I was in high school. You did run track in high school, so you've got that background, right? Yeah, I was the state champion in the 110 hurdles. Critique yourself, Samuel. What areas of your game are you trying to improve upon? Just my consistency. I can't remember who was talking, but... It was a quote that somebody made, and they said, like, you know, a good player can have a good day, you know, a good day here, a good day there. A great player has a good day every day. So that's one thing I'm trying to improve on is just be consistent. That's one thing I've really tried to improve on. 
all off season and every time I step on the field is to be like when I step on the field, I want people to know what they're going to get from me. That they know when the ball's thrown to me, I'm going to catch it. They know when the plays come my way, I'm going to make the plays. And you can always depend on me being consistent. That's one thing that I, I really want to work on and have been trying to work on. You know, from this interview, I'm getting this inner confidence that you just have. What do you think makes you such a fierce competitor? Um, the work I put in. I know that I dedicate myself to my craft. I know that I work hard every day. I know that I put in the hours. I know that I'm not cutting corners. I know that I'm not cheating the grind. I know that when it comes down to it, um, I've done everything I need to do on my end. All I need to go out there and do now is just play. We wanted to ask you about your former teammate. Uh, obviously, you guys were a nice one-two punch you know, a couple of years back. That's Samari Toure. He transferred to Nebraska. What did you learn from him? And how did you guys make each other better? Samori really helped me with my releases, just like my wiggle. I think he's got really sneaky wiggle at the line. Like, he's really able to get off the line really well. And um, that's something that I kind of – I would say I wasn't the best at. So, I really was working with him in the off season, and we really were hitting the cones hard and hitting the bag, like hitting the pop-up bags, trying to uh, work on my releases and work on me getting off the line. That's I was really trying to take tips off of him. What are the expectations for the team this year? Give us a quick scouting report, like the strengths and weaknesses for this year's squad. We want to be the best team on the field every week. We want to be the Montana Grizzlies every week that we step onto the field. And uh, no matter if it's offense, defense, special teams, we want to hit people in the mouth. We want to be aggressive. We want to beat people up, and we want to run over people every week. We want people to know that every time you come to play the Montana Grizzlies, you have to pack your lunch because it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be um, – you're not just going to be able to walk over us at all. So first game, looks like it's going to be a pretty decent test. You play at Washington. What do you want to put on tape, Sam, uh, in a game, you know, versus a Power 5 school? I just want to show that I play hard every play. I just want to show that consistency that I was talking about. I just want to show that that effort. I just want to show that hard work. I just want to show that no matter who the opponent is, no matter who's across from me, I'm going to play hard, I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to give everything I got, and I'm going to be consistent with it. It's not a bad test. I mean, Washington has a very good secondary every year, so you got to get up for that one, Sammy. Mm-hmm. Is there an NFL wide receiver that you model your game after, and why? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say there's an NFL receiver that I model my game after, but I don't know. I like a lot of receivers. I, I love Devontae Adams. I love his, his work at the line. I mean, I think he's the most unguardable receiver I've ever seen. DeAndre Hopkins, he's so aggressive. I like his aggressiveness. Allen Robinson, I think he gets open really well. Keenan Allen gets open really well. There's so many receivers. If there was one that I probably watched the most, it would probably be Devontae Adams. All right. Great chat there, Alex. So, like I said, I mean, we're through week one of the preseason, and a bunch of these quarterbacks, actually all of them, played. And then I also included, I guess, on this list of Trevor, Zach, Trey, Justin, and Mac, uh, Jordan Love. I mean, he didn't play at all last year. Jacob Eason, you know, another guy who really didn't play at all last year. Tua played some. Talk about a little bit what, what these guys did. My first impression was just that none of them looked out of place. They all looked pretty comfortable in what they were doing. That was my first impression, and I guess we can go through each of them, but I don't know. What was yours? 
My first impression was keeping track of these guys, you know, during the OTAs. Now they've started training camp that this could be the best quarterback class that we've ever had. And that's only because, I mean, we've got five guys in the first round. Five guys in the first round. And this quarterback class can actually match up with that 1983 class or the 2004 class that we've been accustomed to with Eli and Philip Rivers and, and Ben Roethlisberger. I think this group of guys, I'm talking about Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, has the ability to be the greatest one of all time. And this isn't just because, I mean, a couple of these guys had really good performances during the, the preseason. You just get a feel for these things. And this is going to be a pretty special group. And I think it's going to be a lot better than what we've had in 2018. I think they are, they are going to be better. I think just overall talent-wise, I think it's apparent. We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, right? I mean, these are preseason games. But, you know, I would say Trevor Lawrence, again, in his first action, being the starter right off the bat, it just looked like he was the first one that I noticed. It might have been like a, a tick off, like he was just a little slow or maybe not quite as sure. But as the game went on, he got a little bit better with that. So I guess if he kind of speeds himself up a little bit, uh, th- that's kind of going to be his next step, I guess, going from week one to week two of the preseason. He did play against a, a really good Cleveland Browns defensive squad. Oh, no question. I mean, none of the, starter, none of the starters that. played. It wasn't like Miles Garrett was out there or any of those guys. But still, you know, it is a professional team. And, they, yeah, I mean, he, he was playing against a good defense for sure. Jeremiah Wusukaramoa looked pretty damn good, Lou. I mean, he was flying around sure. and doing some. But he's a rookie as well, and he's played against them. So, you know, there's some familiarity there. All I'm saying is the Jacksonville Jaguars are in trouble with their bookends, and I'm talking about Cam Robinson, and I'm talking about Jawan Taylor, because Trevor Lawrence never faced that pressure that he faced against the Cleveland Browns. They were always in his face. I mean, on the first play, he was strip-sacked on the first play. Right. And that was already kind of an indication that, hey, there was nothing he could do on the first play, and I agree with you. I mean, he's got to speed it up. It was a mixed bag as far as his performance goes, but he did deliver a couple of throws with anticipation, and that's something that he did really well on. And then he hit Marvin Jones for like 35 yards downfield. He kept his eyes downfield, delivered a dime. So you see those flashes, but I think now he realizes that the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line is not going to be that stout up front. Well, I guess I just hope he doesn't speed up so much in anticipation of pressure because that's where I guess rookies can really get thrown off is that you got to have an idea how much time you've got in that pocket before you get out but sometimes you know you start you know you hear the term happy feet you don't want to see him do that and I don't think that's going to happen here with Trevor Lawrence but again just something something to look for Zach Wilson again looked very comfortable wasn't really forcing much I don't think you're going to see a lot of called running plays for any of these guys during the preseason. I mean, you don't want to get guys beat up in games that don't count. Trey Lance, obviously, just the ball exploded off his hands, it seemed like. A lot of time, I watched a rerun of that game, of course, because it was against the Chiefs, and he burned him for like an 
80-yard touchdown. Uh, might have been a busting coverage. Might have been some you know rookies back there, but still, I mean, he made a great play. Justin Fields, I think, probably got the most hype of anybody playing on Saturday afternoon. It's kind of like you know the first game that day of the four that were on NFL Network. Uh, Chicago's craving for this dude. Made some great plays. You know, I'm sure there's a few that he, he'd like back. You know, scrambled out, got out of the pocket well. And then Mac Jones, I just, you know, again, he just looks like the quarterback that New England wants. They're going to run the ball. You know, he's going to diagnose, get the ball out of his hands quick. He didn't really hit anything downfield, although he had two stupendous throws. One where the defender made the play in the end zone, kind of like over the shoulder, kind of maybe about 30, 40 yards downfield, and just got a finger on it, or it may have been a touchdown, and then one where he's got, uh, I think it was Olszewski kind of running across the field and going downfield, kind of on a diagonal route, and it almost seemed like he was he thought he was throwing to uh, Jalen Waddell or Devontae Smith because it was just out of his reach. Gunner, not quite that quick as those guys. I think they, they all look good, but hey, again, preseason vanilla defenses. A lot of starters aren't playing. It was a great start. But I don't think anybody's, you know, they're not calling the sculptors to get the busts ready for Canton. The jackets aren't being stitched up. I may be overstating this, but I'm looking at the preseason now. The way it looks, it's almost like NBA Summer League. These guys are going out. They look great. But again, you got to be careful. The competition they're playing against, the vanilla defenses. Again, I may be going a little too far with this, calling it the NFL Summer League, but I think there's a little bit too bad. I'm ready to put a couple of these guys in Canton already, Lou. I'm, I'm jumping. <laughs> I'm telling you. Come I, on. I just, I, I've got a feeling about this How class. can you say that? What the, can I, come on. Look, I've, I felt about this when I evaluated these guys in terms of leading up to the draft. I just felt like this group could be really, really special. And th- that's can, that's but... why I'm driving this narrative a little bit. I'm jumping the gun. I'm being a little bit further ahead than most people before, you know, the regular season started, before, you know, some of these guys are touted as future MVP front runners in years to come, you know, future all pros. Driving this narrative out there. This was a special quarterback class. And just based on what we've heard during training camp and based on what we've seen a little bit in preseason, I get it. It's one game. I'm just trying to, you know, be ahead of all the other experts out there and just giving you my opinion based on the evaluations leading up to the draft. So you're going for the pre-embryonic stage of the whole thing. I mean, these guys are like just a seed, a seedling. I am. Yeah, they they can. I mean, I don't think there's any question. They've got the talent to do it, but there's so many variables and factors. I mean, the teams they're playing on health, all sorts of different things. Are you such a party again, pooper, Lou? I don't want to be a buzzkill, but again, the analytics will tell us that not all five of these guys are are going to be great players there is a chance because I think the fit for each guy, I think each of them is in the right situation, except for Zach Wilson. I'd like to see them bring in a veteran. I mean, I think we've talked about this on previous episodes. He needs to have somebody that's not a coach that he could bounce stuff off of that's been there, done that sort of thing. I don't know if anybody's going to line up to be that guy for the Jets, but uh, they certainly do need it. I thought Jordan Love, I mean, I thought he, you know, acquitted himself pretty well for not having played in in forever. 
Again, just watching some of the some of the plays here and there, I didn't really get to see the whole game, so you know I'm not speaking of it from a from an expert's point of view, but just the I guess the eye test. Again, he didn't look like the the deer in the headlights. But again, I mean we've got a long way to go here. He's certainly not uh, scheduled to play at all this year, but I'm sure they'd love it for him to be the number two for sure this year because I mean last year I don't I don't know that he dressed. I don't think he did. Uh, what'd you think, Jacob Eason? I mean, he again, he looked like you know he knew what he was doing. He was out there. He's been in this offense now for a year plus an off season. What do you think? Sam Ellinger has been pushing him during training camp. I mean, Ellinger sure. is a sixth round pick, a rookie out of Texas. Ellinger had a good career at Texas, not a great one. Never realized himself the way I think a lot of people looked at him when he was a freshman or a sophomore. He just never achieved that greatness with the Longhorns. He's pushing him right now. A lot of things are being said from Indianapolis that Carson Wentz might be ready for week one. So we might not see Ellinger or Jacob Eason out there. But I do think Ellinger is like tough competition for Jacob Eason. I thought Drew Locke was really impressive during, if we're talking about preseason action, he had like over 150 yards, uh, passing yards. He had like yeah, two Denver, touchdowns, Denver, a couple of big-time plays. Just the, the wide receivers being back out there, Cortland Sutton. You know, obviously he's got Jerry Judy. They have a good offensive line. The running game is there. Um, obviously, the, the two rookies really stood out, and Patrick Sertain, the second, the cornerback, the first-round pick. I mean, he had that interception, just, you know, has quick feet and fluid hips, and he jumped that interception and returned it 30 yards for a touchdown. He doesn't only, like, have the athleticism, but he, he has the IQ. He has it from the neck up, just like his dad, who played for the Miami Dolphins for the longest time, and then Javante Williams, the running back out of UNC, who they drafted in the second round. Very decisive, you know, making good cuts out there. So the Denver Broncos, if they can figure it out, if this is Drew Locke that we'll see during the regular season, finally, you know, if he can piece together a few games, not only just one game or two games, if he can piece together a couple of months of really strong play, Denver could be a you know a nightmare team in that tough AFC West division. I really you know enjoyed watching Drew Locke and he just he looked like a different quarterback out there. But let's return to the rookie quarterbacks. I just want to talk about Justin Fields because he was the most impressive out of the rookie quarterbacks. I mean, he settled in there. He's completing the deep ball. He's got that athleticism. He knew where to go with those checkdowns. You know, when he got out outside of the pocket, he found those tight ends, those running backs. You can't teach athleticism, and you can't teach 4-4 speed. I'm one of the guys who doubted him, but it looks like Fields might be the next coming of Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson because a guy that you doubt, he comes in and he might win, you know, Offensive Rookie of the Year, and, you know, everybody is going to be talking about him. I just think that... We all know that Nagy's job and Ryan Pace's job is on the line this season. There's no way in hell I go with Andy Dalton as my starter in week one. I put the rookie in there. I look at how these these rookies have fared in the past. We're talking about Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Look what they've done in years past. If Justin Fields is comfortable with that offensive system, plug him in because he'll give the Bears a really different dimension and he could actually save, you know, Matt Nagy's and, and Ryan Pace's job. Well, he certainly has a chance. And I don't know that, again, I mean, I, 
I don't have any personal insight or anything like that, but Matt Nagy just seems like the type of guy that he does not want to put him out there if he's not, you know, 100% sure, right? I mean, he's not going to put him out there just because he feels like his job is on the line. I think he really cares about the, the kid. He'll put him out there when he's ready. If that's, you know, week one, then it's week one. If it's not, maybe it's week two or three, you know, who knows. But uh, he certainly looked the part in this first uh, foray into real bullets. Again, we'll temper this by saying it is the preseason of the NFL Summer League. I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> Let's relax. I mean, again, they're pretty much playing against twos and threes on defense. So, Again, let's see what happens in this week. And then I don't know how teams are going to do this if they're still going to use that third game as the dress rehearsal, so to speak. Where in years past, on the when there was a four-game preseason schedule, it's always, okay, game three starters, you would see at least the first half uh, potentially you know, well into the third quarter and then maybe throwing some guys out there that you know, are, are vying for jobs and final cuts. So we'll see how that goes and, and what kind of action he has. But again, as far as a debut, that was great. He showed everything that he did at Ohio State and then some. You know, God bless him. I, I hope he is the starter in week one. A couple other rookies I, I wanted to mention, I think, Again, a shout out to our uh, colleague on Blitzcast, Ed Hunt, Najee Harris. Uh, Looks like he's everything uh, the Steelers were hoping for. I hope his offensive line can help him out a little bit, but but he's looked really good. And I got to be a homer at this point. And I don't typically shout out offensive linemen because I have little or no experience in knowing what the hell they do other than just uh, watching them physically block. But Trey Smith just looks like a house. You know, the medical pushed him down in the draft. I don't know if it needed to push him all the way down to the sixth round, but I'm sure Brett Veach and company are, are really, really grateful that he did because he looks like he's going to be a day one starter and probably have that right guard spot for the next 10 or 12 years if his health holds out. So uh, shout out Trey Smith. And of course, your Kansas City Chiefs, Alex. Yeah, I knew you were going to get that in there. Look, I I think health is going to be a major question mark for him. And uh, at Tennessee, he did have some major durability concerns. He did start all the games the last two years, but I think that's always something to keep an eye on. Sure. uh, Just let's be fair out there. Injuries. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why he he was a sixth-round pick. I mean, otherwise, he he was like in his high school class, he was in the top five, right? Top five recruit. Yeah, he was he was one of the the better recruits. Just period, he was a five star recruit, one of the better, not just offensive linemen, just altogether players in that draft class who went to Tennessee. To be honest with you, I was disappointed with Trey Lance. I mean, I watched that game just like you a couple of times. You know, obviously he made that big play, the big throw for the touchdown, and people get excited about it. And I also know that we had three drops by wide receivers during that game, but I did feel like. His internal clock is just a little slow. When he's going through those progressions, he took four sacks in general, and I realized that you know our offensive line didn't play particularly well. I thought Trey Lance has a lot of work to do, and for all those people who got excited about his performance during training camp and were pushing for Trey to start over Jimmy G, stop it, okay? Stop it. 
Jimmy G is the starting quarterback. Unless he gets injured, we will not see Trey Lance this year. Okay? It's 2022. Get it through your heads. Everybody that's been emailing me and writing to me, you know, saying Trey Lance is our quarterback this year. It is not happening. Okay? It might happen with the Patriots. It will happen with the Bears. You know, obviously we know that the Jets and the Jaguars are going to start rookie quarterbacks. Trey Lance is going to be on the bench. He's going to learn that system to a T, and he'll be a better man for the 49ers next season. All right. You heard it here first, again, from 49er homer Alex Kavtov right there. Well, I just had to get it in there. I mean, he's going to play this year. Come on. (laughs) All right. So. Jamal Adams gets the bag, if you would. Uh, I think everybody knew this was coming. They made a pretty uh, sizable investment in the trade they made for him to the Jets. Just really a matter of time. Uh, He had a hold in, if you would. He was at camp but not participating. Four years, $70 million or $72 million. Somewhere in that range, and I think that's maximum. I think there there may be some escalators in there, some team options. I'm not really sure that all the details, but basically that's what he got. Highest paid safety in the league right now, and I don't think anybody is going to say that that he doesn't deserve it. I mean, he's just a playmaker. Maybe not be the best in coverage or whatever, but he's just the guy you want on your, especially in that Seattle defense, the way they play, uh, playing that Cam Chancellor role, if you will, and actually you know enhancing that by the pass rushing ability that he has. Love the kid, love love the way he plays. Uh, what does this mean to the Honey Badger? He's got an extension coming. The Chiefs have doled out a bunch of cash to a bunch of players. Are they going to do this? I mean, I mean Brett Veach, oh yeah, we want it. We want him around. I mean, he's saying all the right things. The guy's like, you know, the voice, the heart of that defense and maybe even like the heart of the, the locker room just because of his presence and his leadership. What's he going to get paid? I just don't think the economics are going to work here. You know, he's 29 years old, and, you know, yeah, the the Chiefs organization is saying all the right things, that they want to re-sign him. He's the heart and soul of that defense. I get it, but there's also a price tag. The Chiefs can't shell out just as much money as, you know, the Seahawks gave Jamal Adams or even close to that. So unless he gives them a discount, Honey Badger is going to be gone, Lou. I can't see him re-signing with the Chiefs. I don't think he's going to fit under this year's cap, right? I mean, I think if it happens, it's going to have to happen in the next, uh, like in the in the spring or summer next year. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be almost impossible for just because of where they are with the cap right now. I mean, huge money to Chris Jones, obviously Mahomes. Tyreek Hill is going to be coming up for a new deal soon. Frank Clark uh, might have another year or two left on his monster deal. I mean, they got to pay Orlando Brown. I mean, it's there's <laughs> there's a lot of miles to feed on this team when you have these top, you know, these high level players in the, their uh, prime earning years. It's tough to fit them all, and you'd hate to see Matthew be kind of. Uh, Set aside, but it is. I think it's more of a positional thing. The fact that he is a safety, and yes, it is important, and and has become more important in this NFL, if you would, the way the game's played. You got to be able to cover. You got to be able to drop. You got to be able to rush. You know everything, and he does that. Smart dude too. He's always. I mean, he's always in the right place at the right time. So uh, I hope they get it done. But you know, remains to be seen. The he- Tim Tebow experience done, over. Were you surprised it was the first cut? 
Well, after he missed that block that's been on every national television show, any sports TV show out there, and people are have been discussing it that he whiffed on that, you know, that block, and he it, it was shown and over and over and over again. I think it's it's hard to ignore. Tim Tebow did nothing during his training camp. Obviously, Urban Meyer realized that he just doesn't have anything left to to give the game of football. I admire that he gave it a try with his old coach. I realized that the experiment was all about trying to buy into the Urban Meyer way, and no one knows that better than, than Tim Tebow. But it was just a failed experiment. I mean, the guy hasn't played football in so long. He's never played tight end. I mean, you can imagine him like switching to tight end when he was like 24 or 25 years old when he realized the the quarterback thing wasn't going to work out but not at this time i wish him well but his football days are definitely over he's had a great life great uh, athletic career he's done everything i think that he wanted to do i'm sure he thought it could work out better in baseball at quarterback and and in this go round but he did everything he, he wanted to do so god bless him god you know i'm glad uh you know, Urban gave him the chance. I think Urban knew that, you know, it wasn't going to work, but just their relationship and just the type of guy that he is, you got to give him that shot. You know, I never discounted that and always thought, what what do you got to lose? You know, it's just another, he's a character guy. You know, he's going to work his ass off the whole time he's there. No question about that. So farewell, Tim Tebow. Uh, I'm sure, you know, we'll see him back on the SEC network or somewhere soon. We're moving. We've moved. Yes. Pros like us, Blitzcast, we have moved to a new network, Malka Media. Alex, I don't know if you want to chime in here and kind of give our folks uh, an idea of what kind of moves they need to make to make sure they don't miss any episodes. We're excited that we've made this move, and you can catch us on megaphone.fm. If you go on nfldraftblitz.com, when the new podcast appears, you can just subscribe to it or sign up for it so you don't miss an episode. It's an exciting time for us, and we're ready for this next challenge. And again, the podcast is still going to be on NFLDraftBlitz.com. We, we could just be found in a few more places like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll, we'll have a lot of great guests for you in the upcoming weeks. And for those of you that were finding us at Underdog Sports, we, we do want to thank them for the opportunity. Uh, it was a great time with them, but it was just time to move on. And when you do catch up with us, please resubscribe. Uh, and this way, you know, being on the new network, you won't miss a new episode. You'll get the alerts and everything will go on uh, as planned. So for Alex, I am Lou. Until next week, peace.